The story is told of a man who was on his way to a costume ball on a Sunday evening. He rented a fairly realistic Satan costume. It was a red suit with a tail and a skin-tight mask with horns. It was a very quality outfit and looked quite realistic. In order to get to the party, he had to walk a fair distance. And as luck would have it, he was caught in a sudden, a sudden rain and thunderstorm. So he sought shelter in a church building where the service was just ending. Just as he ran into the building, there was a loud clap of thunder. And as he, the crowd turned to look, a flash of lightning lit up in the doorframe. It was so sudden and so shocking that the people thought this was really Satan. They panicked and rushed for the exit. But the intruder didn't realize what was so frightening and why they were running and thought that maybe the church had been struck with lightning and was on fire. So he raced after them. Everybody got out except one elderly woman. Churning in fear, she stretched out her hands and said, Oh, devil, please don't hurt me. I know I've been a member of this church for 30 years, but I've really been on your side all the time. This morning, the title of our sermon is Stand Firm. The text is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I will get there in a short period of time. Now, that was quite interesting. Obviously, it's a made-up story. But you would have to ask yourself, what was that lady saying? She was saying, I surrender. I give up. You win. She was afraid that he would hurt her. So she completely abandoned her faith of 30 years and yielded to the enemy. Now, maybe that's meant to be a humorous story. Obviously, it never happened that we know of. But too often, there are Christians who literally surrender to Satan. They give up and they refuse to stand firm in their faith. That's why the Bible repeatedly tells us to stand firm in our faith. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Or 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13, it says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Or in Ephesians 6 and 13, it tells us, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done, have, and having done all to stand firm. And of course, our text today, I will now read that. Our text today is 2 Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 15. 
Stand firm and hold to the traditions or the teachings that you ought, that you were taught. You ought to listen to the things that were taught. The things that you know are true. Today, we can read. At that time, they were taught. Go with what you read from God's word, either by our spoken word or by our letter, the writer says there. The Bible is very clear on this. God calls us to stand firm. What's interesting is that God repeatedly tells us of stories of men and women who stood firm. A quick summary is what we've been studying on Sunday morning. Hebrews, and especially Hebrews chapter 11, which we're just finishing up, and starting in Hebrews chapter 12, which we would encourage you to come and join us on Sunday mornings at 10. Moses stood firm before Pharaoh and ultimately led the people of God out of slavery. The people of Israel stood before the walls of Jericho and the walls fell down. They stood firm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before Nebuchadnezzar's idol and refused to bow. And we know that God delivered them from the fire they were thrown into. Esther stood before the throne of the king and saved the Jews from destruction. Now, what's interesting about all these stories is that all these folks and what they did, what did each one do? They stood. They stood firm in what God told them to do. Their victory didn't come by their force of arms, by swords, by spears. Their triumph wasn't accomplished because of their own personal power. They didn't win the day because they were influential people. They overcame evil because they trusted in God and they stood firm in what God said. Edmund Burke said the only thing necessary for triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. But when God repeatedly stands firm and we stand firm with God in the face of evil, evil is frustrated and evil is defeated. And so God tells us to stand, to stand firm. You may be the only person who is able to stand up for God in the face of a bad situation, but you are asked to stand firm. Oftentimes, people who stand for God have a stand alone. Many of great heroes or heroines of scripture face danger all by themselves. I'll use, just use Rahab, which we just recently studied about. Different culture and everything. But she hid the, the spies in the city. She 
risked her own life, you would say, because, of course, if they found out what she was doing, they would have put her to death. And that's just one example. We have many examples throughout Scripture. It was their courage in those times of danger that turned the tide for them. I've read that in World War II, the Germans nearly won the Battle of the Bulge. All they needed was just enough time to reach their objectives. But they never got to their destinations quickly, quick enough. The Germans didn't lose the Battle of the Bulge because they faced a huge Allied army. No, from what I read, they lost because they kept running into small groups of soldiers who refused to yield. Small companies of men who stood firm because they knew that they were the only ones who could stand against the might of the German war machine. They stood firm. Many times the small group stood alone and they actually collectively turned the tide of the battle. We see, of course, the Ukraine war right now. And I would have to say that's very similar. You, it sounds like we've got small pockets of people Way back when this war started, I'm sure Russia thought that they were going to take over in a very short period of time. But the resistance and resilience of this small country fighting back, they're standing firm. That is what God calls for us to do, to be willing to do. God calls us to stand firm, even if you have to stand alone, because everything may depend on each one of us. In the book of Esther, an evil man named Haman, who hated the Jews so much that he talked the king into passing a law calling for them to be destroyed. Esther was approached by her uncle Mordecai to appeal to the king to save her people, but she was afraid. But her whole think about that dilemma she was a Jew and her whole, everybody around her was going to be destroyed. Mordecai rebuked her with these words in Esther 4 and 14. It says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will raise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. We know that Esther listened to her uncle and she stood firm before the king. She was frightened out of her mind at what this might mean to approach the king. But she stood firm and saved the people from destruction. Many ask the question, why would a Christian not stand firm? I'm sure many of you are thinking that today. Of course, if you're a Christian, of course you're going to stand firm. Why would you not? Why would they back down in the face of opposition? One reason is that a lot of folks are afraid of standing alone. In fact, there's actually a name for that kind of fear. It's called bandwagon effect. In sports, the bandwagon effect describes fair weather fans. Those folks only get on the bandwagon and support the team when they are winning. Us here in Cleveland, I don't know that it's a bandwagon effect as much as a bandwagon effect as much as it's 
Uh, it's the Browns. <laughs> and you expect something to happen in the negative effect. But among psychologists, the bandwagon effect is described as the tendency of people in social and sometimes political situations to align themselves with the majority opinion and do or believe things because many other people appear to be doing so or believing the same. I am sure that we all have heard the phrase, if everyone else jumped off the bridge, would you jump also? I'm sure everyone has heard that phrase. Hubie Brown. I attended years, many, many years ago. I attended a clinic in which Hubie Brown, who was a major basketball coach of the NBA, gave the advice to all the coaches in attendance. He says, believe in yourselves and your coaching program. And always remember this one thing. The dogs may bark, but the caravan moves on. Ponder that for a moment. You always got people criticizing. You always got people making fun of, questioning. But if you believe, or in this case as Christians, if we stand firm in what God says, you'll just keep moving on. You just keep moving forward. That prize, that race set before us. We talk about Paul talking about, carry on that race. You don't have to be first, as Brother Ryan was saying this morning. It's not always who the fastest, it's finishing, enduring the race. And that was what Paul's talking about. So you may, you're going to run into criticism. You're going to have people like dogs barking along. But you just have to keep moving on. So the dogs may bark, but the caravan moves on. Abraham Lincoln said, be sure you put your feet in the right place and then stand firm once you've done so. Back in the day, when I traveled with the eighth graders on the Washington, D.C. trip from Perry Middle School, we would often play. They don't do it anymore, but we'd say there was times there was pools at our hotel, and we'd play king of the pool. And I would see that there would be kids trying to, you know, anybody, you know, you think, oh, I want to push you in. And it's just a common thing. And they just start pushing each other in. I don't know if it's really king of the pool, but it was just a fun thing where they start pushing each other in. And of course, being a teacher, then they would come along with trying to push me in. Fortunately, they were eighth graders. And I found there was a way to stand with balance. And there was a certain way I would stand that they weren't going to push me in unless they came in with me. You know, there's a certain force you could take. And I could avoid many of them. But of course, in some of the bigger guys, you knew pretty well knew you just, you just stand a certain way and thought, well, okay, if I'm going in, you're coming in with me, that type of thing. And you think about that. I learned that when I placed my feet that way, it was the way I stood. I stood firm. But as Christians, how do I do that? How do I make sure that my feet are in the right place so that I can stand firm for God? Well, read our text today. What does it say? Holding to the traditions or teachings that we were taught in Scripture. You see, the Bible is the foundation of our faith. It's the Bible that we discover what is right and what is wrong. God's not interested in my opinion. How many times do people, when you come into and start talking, say, well, I don't believe that. Uh, 
I think we should do this. I think, I believe. We're not asked that. In the Bible, what does it say? He that believeth and is baptized. Repent and be baptized. Be thou found faithful unto death. Faithful to what? What we believe on our own, our own opinions, or what God has said. You know the answer to that. He's not influenced by churches who ignore sin. He's not interested in the editorials of a newspaper or in a government law that tries to legalize immorality or things that go against what we believe and what goes into God's word. He's not a God who changes with the times. How many people say, well, well, that's what, you know, society does this nowadays. That is how we've changed. God's word hasn't changed. Whatever the Bible says, that's where we put our feet. Peter and John were once commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus. And do you know what they said? We can read it. I'm sure we're familiar. Acts 4, verses 19 and 20. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. In essence, they're saying, we're standing firm. And no matter what you tell us, we will talk about what we've seen, what we heard, and what we know God wants us to do. They refused to back down. They made sure their feet were in the right place, and they stood firm. But notice Peter and John were respectful in what they did. They didn't insult the Sanhedrin. They didn't mobilize a protest. They just said, this is where we stand, and we're not backing down. Jesus drew a line on where to stand when he wrote these words in Matthew 8, 3 through 11. And again, it's an account we're familiar with. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him, Jesus, a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that, that such should be stoned. But what saith you? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him of something. But Jesus stooped out. And with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted him up to himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. Let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard, being convinced and convicted in their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none at the woman, or none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Have no man accused thee or condemned thee? She said, No, uh, no man here, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go, but what does he say? Go, take a stance, he's saying, and sin no more. Stop what you're doing. We all sin. We all sin and fall short, as we are told. 
But what do we do? We need to then take a stand and improve. Jesus says, don't do what you are doing anymore. Go and sin no more. Now live a truthful life. We look at our lives today. We all fall short. As we were talking about in our Bible study this morning, we have weights. As we're running the race, many many of us have weights that have been attached to us. It might be pride. It might be imagined thoughts. It might be worldly thoughts. It might be this and that. Things that attract us, that draw us and weigh us down. But yet, Jesus tells us to move forward. Take God's way. Take God's word and move forward. Sin no more. Reduce what you are doing. Focus on God. Put your things on, you know, put your sights on things above. This brings us to the final way that Christians should stand firm. Earlier in the sermon, I quoted 1 Corinthians 16, 13, that said, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. But I didn't include the next verse, which says, Let all things that um, you do be done in love. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, and even to now, I was frustrated that we didn't see any action shows in movies or on TV that showed Christians beating up criminals. In the movies, I see Steven Seagal. One time he played a Buddhist who would literally destroy gangs of bad guys by himself. But I don't remember one single Christian doing that stuff like that. I mean, if we Christians are all about righteousness, wouldn't you think that we'd get a TV hero who would punch somebody in the nose once in a while? But, of course, we don't see that happen. And there's a reason for that. We know that Christianity wasn't built on violence. There was no school of martial arts ever created by Christians or by Jesus because Jesus didn't teach us to behave that way. Now, I'm not trying to say that Christians shouldn't defend their family, shouldn't defend their country, or even themselves or their faith. But by our very nature, we should not be violent, cruel, or nasty. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And here in 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds Christians to stand firm, but do it in love. Be respectful. Set your feet and don't move, but stand firm in God's way. 2 Timothy chapter 2, where I'm going to move into just verses 24 through 26, and I'll bring this to a close. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The fact of the matter is this. God has called us to stand, to not back off our faith for anyone or anything, to do this gently but without apologizing for what we believe in. The words uh, will fight the world. I'm sorry, the world will fight you, 
and evil will oppose you. But when the dust clears, you'll know it was worth the cost. I want to close with the observation by a writer from America's revolutionary times. His name is Thomas Paine. He said, the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. I love the man that can smile in trouble, that can gather strength from the stress and grow brave by reflection. Tis the business of little minds to shrink, but he whose heart is firm and whose conscience approves his conduct will pursue his principles unto death. So the question you need to think about this morning is, do we stand with Jesus? And if we don't, we have the opportunity to make our life right, whether it be by baptism or by asking for the prayers of the congregation as together we stand and sing our song of invitation.